We are in part three of our series in Galatians here. Fall from Grace is today, as we've been looking at <clears throat> free in the spirit, free spirit. Many of you grew up like I did, not all of you, but a, a lot of you, or probably, probably more than half, you may have grown up like I did in a church that taught you the good news, taught you that Jesus loved you, taught you that he died on the cross for your sins. But for a lot of us, we grew up with that. But the culture also said that you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you didn't, you and God were not okay. God was unhappy with you. You were being disobedient. And so, you know, you needed to kind of shape up or ship out. And so there was this certain standard, and that's been part of a lot of our growing up, even though we were taught the good news of the gospel. And so Paul has been talking about that, and we, of course we did the first half of Galatians before I took my little break, and now we're in the second half of Galatians. And we started with looking at, in the second half, the fact that for many of us, we have learned following Jesus, even though we know that he died on the cross, we know that the gift of salvation is free, we have learned that the act of following Jesus is a, is a life of obligation. And so in part one of this series, we looked at Paul saying, wait, do you, are you a hired hand or are you a child? Are you a son, a daughter? Because the difference is the difference between are you earning from the Father or do you already own it because you are a child? That no matter, you know, the hired hand can work at the farm every day for 30, 40 years and may get a paycheck, but 30, 40 years later, still doesn't own the farm. And the son may not work on the farm at all, and yet inherits the farm because they're a son or a daughter. You inherit it. And, we, and Paul said, that's who you are in Christ. You become an heir, not a hired hand. But a lot of us live Christian lives as hired hands. That I'm trying to still earn my way in. I'm trying to earn my reward. And of course, we just sang in How Deep the Father's Love, how could I earn anything? So then we looked at, do we in our day-to-day -day lives as Christians, are we trying to earn favor or, as that song just said, or do we know that it is finished, that the work is done, that the work to be in a right relationship with God was completed by Jesus on the cross, and so when I come to God, I know that God and I are okay, not because I'm okay, but because he has declared me okay on the basis of his work, not mine. So we've talked about that, and that this frees us from the need to constantly perform for God, that we're not on this constant, I need to try to live up to something in order to stay in God's good graces, that we're free from that. And that's what we looked at last week, which led us all the way through verse 1 of chapter 5, because remember verse 1 actually goes with the end of chapter 4. It is for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm, and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. This idea of going back into, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, in order to stay good with God. So Paul's been really on this, because in our previous series, chapters 1 through 3, he spent a lot of time on this. Now we're coming into the first half of chapter 5, and he's still on this, of taking a very hard line about this idea that we're going to take faith in Jesus and add obedience to the law. So let's look at what he does here, because it's stark. In fact, I, I, I mean, I've been doing this a long time now, and I, Galatians is a book I really enjoy. It's one of the books that I'm more apt to read. And still, as I was preparing for this series, I was caught off guard by just how 
how uh, firm, how almost harsh, not towards people, but towards this idea that Paul is. So look with me, starting in verse 2, because right off the bat, as Paul starts this section, he makes quite the statement. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. That's a huge statement. Christ will be of no benefit. All right, what were they saying? They were saying, the, the people coming in, we call them Judaizers sometimes, they were coming in and they were saying, okay, so you want to follow Jesus, so you believe Jesus is Messiah, and you're putting faith in Jesus. That's fine. That's great. Hallelujah. Amen. However, they were saying, as you follow Jesus, as you grow close to Yahweh, you also need to get circumcised. Now, where'd they come up with that? Did they cook that up on their own? Was that some weird human idea? Absolutely not. Jesus, a God, had given them circumcision in the Old Testament. It was a sign of the covenant. Right with Abraham, you will be circumcised. It was a sign of being in good standing with Yahweh. God gave this sign to them. So when these guys come along and say, now you still need to do that, they're kind of coming from an understandable place. And so they were saying, Jesus is good, but you need Jesus, and you really should do the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And Paul says, listen, if you do that, you have no Jesus at all. Jesus is of no use to you. That's weird, because the other guys aren't saying, they're saying Jesus is good, and then you just need to sprinkle some other good on top of it. And Paul says, and if you sprinkle that other good on top of it, no Jesus. He's of no benefit, no benefit at all. That's a huge statement. Whoa. And then he follows up. He's, he's not done. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Because the Judaizers weren't coming and saying, all right, now we're just going to pile the whole thing on you. They were saying, well, just, how about just this? You know, that's nice. Just a, little bit of, just a little bit of the sign of the covenant. And Paul says, if you're going to go that way, you've got to do the whole thing. You've got to accept the whole law. So we're, we're back to everything. So you're bringing in the sacrifices and the, the Ten Commandments and the whole nine yards. He goes, you're under obligation to all of it that there is no such thing as following it a little. If you're going to go that way, if you're going to say, well, Jesus and a little bit of law, he says, A, no Jesus, and if you're going to do a little bit of law, there's no such thing. You've got to do it all. You can't just say, well, just circumcision. Nope. He goes, you've got to do the whole thing. If you're going to follow a little, you've got to follow it all. Wow. Paul, that's harsh. He's not done. Verse 4. Hard statement number 2. You have been severed from Christ. Now, it doesn't translate well. Paul is actually make, using a pun. He's not making a joke in the sense he's not trying to be humorous. But Paul is Paul's highly educated. He loves to play with words because he's really, again, he's good with words. He had a you know, full Jewish education as a Pharisee. And so here he's playing with words because what's circumcision? Circumcision, you cut off a piece. So he's saying, if you, go, if you cut off a piece, you're cut off from Jesus. So he's a little pun, play on words there. He says, you are severed. So he uses a, a little more severe word. Severed. You are severed from Christ. So again, he's not saying, well, if you add Jesus, you know, you don't need to add Jesus. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. He's not merely saying you don't need to add anything to Jesus. He says, if you add this, you are cut off. You are completely cut off from Christ. And then he uses a phrase, 
So you are cut off from Christ. You have set, been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. Now that's a phrase we use. We use so-and-so fell from grace. All right? So, like if I say that, that my friend Ricky here, if I say, Ricky and I have been friends for a long time, I really appreciate Ricky, but lately Ricky has fallen from grace. Well, we all know what that means. Ricky messed up. He did something he wasn't supposed to do, and so he's no longer in my good graces because something he did. That's how we use fallen from grace. It means you messed up. Here, we'll come back to this in a minute, but here, fallen from grace means you are no longer depending on unmerited favor. Because what is grace? Grace is where it's not based on how well you did, right? That's the whole bit. Unmerited, meaning you didn't merit it, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. Grace is, by definition, that which you do not deserve. So if I say you fell from grace, he's saying you have stopped depending on not deserving it. In other words, now you are busy trying to merit it. We'll come back to that idea in a minute. He says, so you're cut off from the whole Jesus thing. These are not things that you can combine. You have separated yourself from Jesus. Then he makes a really interesting statement in verse 5. He says, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Sorry, I don't have a getting ahead of myself. We are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We, through the Spirit, so that's connecting to God, the Holy Spirit, through faith, trust, are waiting for righteousness. What is righteousness? The act of being right, the act of being okay, the act of being good. He says, we're waiting for that. Well, if you, that's like waiting, you're waiting for Amazon. You know, I'm waiting for my package to arrive. What are you doing? What, what's your job? Wait. He says, that's how, what's our approach to righteousness? I want to be righteous before God. So what do you do? I wait for it. Well, that's very different than I need to what? Earn it. I need to build it myself. He says, well, no, through faith, in the Spirit, we're waiting for this to come. We're waiting for this to be provided for us. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And this is a bigger statement than it first sounds. Because how most of us would read this is circumcision means nothing. In other words, I don't need to be circumcised. Okay. I don't need to make this extra step. But if I do, it's probably better. But he doesn't just say circumcision doesn't mean anything. He says uncircumcision doesn't mean anything either. In other words, because what do we say? Well, it's better if I do, so it's better if I do and worse if I don't. He says if you don't, it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. It's not like it's an extra, but it matters, but just doesn't matter as much. It's not central. He goes, no, neither state matters, circumcision or uncircumcision, which that would have freaked out their minds because they're like, well, I mean, those are the two classes of people. So it's okay, if, you know, it's, I should, but it's okay if I don't. He says, actually, it doesn't matter if you don't. It doesn't matter if you do. It doesn't matter if you don't. It's not even on the table. It doesn't matter at all. He says, what matters is faith in love. Faith in love, of course, is not faith in love and such. Faith in love. Faith in love is faith in Jesus, because what is Jesus? He is the love of God. 
He is the love of God. Then he says, verse 7 through 9, you were doing so well, who hindered you? Somebody has come along and messed you up from obeying the truth. This persuasion didn't come from him who calls you. It didn't come from God. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. We have a saying like that. We have that same saying, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Ours is one bad apple, right? One bad apple spoils the barrel. One bad apple spoils the bunch. Here, what does he mean? A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. There are places in the Bible where that's used. To, leaven is oftentimes uh, a metaphor for sin. And so a little bit of sin will contaminate everything. But that is not, he's not talking about sin here, is he? What's he talking about? What's this little leaven that corrupts everything? It's the law. A little law corrupts everything. Whoa, whoa, a little law corrupts everything. Verse 10, he says, but I trust you. I have confidence in you that you won't do this, that you won't fall back into this. The one who is disturbing you, the one who's trying to teach you to do this stuff, he will bear judgment, whoever he is. I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision. So then Paul says, by the way, and here's some fake news I heard about. Because what they were saying, because Paul wasn't there, that's why Paul's writing this letter, because he's not there. They were saying when they came, you need to be circumcised, and Paul agrees with us on this. Paul's okay with this. And Paul's like, wait, 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 wait. If that's true, if I was preaching circumcision, then how come I'm being persecuted? Because we think about persecution, we always think of persecution as persecution comes from the bad guys, you know, the, the ungodly heathen. They're always trying to get us. But Paul's being persecuted by religious people who think that he should be teaching the law. And he goes, and I'm not, and if I was, why would they be picking on me? I'm being persecuted. He says, because then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. So this is, comes back to Christ doesn't mean anything. He says, if this is you've got to do the right thing, you've got to follow the law, even just a little bit, circumcision. He goes, then the cross is abolished. The cross is abolished. What a statement. And then he makes one more pun that really, again, doesn't translate well. Probably... Part of why they sometimes didn't translate this stuff well, because they were writing a book for church people, like we're translating the Bible for church people, and we don't want to make church people kind of uncomfortable. So verse 12, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He's making what in the original language is a bit of a almost, we would call it off-color pun. He's not being inappropriate, but he's being very graphic, because they're saying, you should get circumcised. Now, if you, if you know what circumcision is, medically, Paul's saying, and those guys who are trying to get you to do that, they should just cut the whole thing off. I'm sorry if that bothers you, but that's what he said. Don't yell at me. Talk to Paul. But the English translation cleans it up a little so that we're like, oh, the church, it'll talk about that stuff. But Paul said that to them. He's like, that's how strongly he feels. They should just like... Yeah, we won't dwell there. We're going to, like I said, because the translator said, uh, we'll spare us. So here's a discussion. This is for you guys. Let's talk about this. Because we often, when it comes to trying to follow Jesus and be Christians and being God's people, we try to mix in a little law. You know, like, oh yeah, Jesus saved us. We're saved by grace, by faith. Not by works. Amen. Hallelujah. And now here's what you have to do. So the question is, so we have grace plus. 
Such that if you don't, we sit there and go, well, I'm not really sure you're right with God right now. I mean, I know what you did, and I don't think you and God are okay because of what you did. Because, yeah, God said, so why do we do that? Thoughts? Why, why, do we, why do we tend to want to slip in? Not a lot of law, but some. You know, just circumcision. Okay, we were taught that. That was how we understood. This is what it means to be a Christian, is to follow these rules. What else? Why else do we like to mix a little bit of this in? Right, the Bible does say, don't keep messing up just to get more grace. Absolutely. And Paul's going to get to that point. But I think sometimes we, we like to think, oh, well, I'm not too bad because that was bad. So I got my lawyer. Yeah, they're badder than me. And these rules give me a sense of that, of I'm not so bad because they're badder. I like that. Why else? Why do we mix this in, Isaac? Sense of control. Now I know what to do. Oh, I love a good tell me what to do. Especially if you're like me. You're a rule follower and a box checker. Just give me something I can substantiate. Don't do this, do this. Oh, good. Okay, thank you. I'm good now. Second one that goes with this. How does it sneak in? What are ways that this sneaks in? You can, you can still answer the why, but also how. I've stumped you already. Joey. Right, but it's easy to blend those categories and it's easy just to add on a little, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, absolutely. And that's kind of how it sneaks in too. It's just, oh, well, that's, you know, and again, God is, that's why I wanted to mention circumcision. They didn't cook that up. It had come from God. They were pushing something that God had taught. So it's not like they had just made up a human rule. Right. God gave us that law. We've got it sitting there in the Old Testament. Sounds good. And so then we go, oh, wait, but I have Jesus. Barb, were you going to? Oh, she took yours. But we feel like we maybe still need to. And, and, and the idea of, of cleanliness. Uh, I don't have time to go there today, but last year or two years ago, maybe before COVID, we did a whole thing on holiness which directly relates to cleanliness and the idea of sin. So last, last point of discussion, what sort of things do we go back to? What are examples of the things that we kind of mix back in? Not, we don't abandon Jesus. Jesus is still central. But what are some of the things we start adding back in as this is one of the signs, like circumcision, one of the signs, that, like, like superficial things, but like what? Can't play cards, can't smoke. Can't dance. Drink, dance, dancing. Heaven's the best thing. No, no, no. 
watching those kids. That's awesome. You know, but, but it's messing up our good worship service. Because yeah. are they distracting? Oh, hugely. Praise the Lord. You know, you, you know what the only thing sadder than a bunch of disruptive kids in a church is? No disruptive kids in a church. And every time I sit there and go, oh, I go, I talk to so many people who would kill for a couple of spirited children in their church because they have, their idea of a spirited child is a 60-year-old that had an extra cup of coffee. That's what they've got. <laughs> and uh, they would love to have kids dancing around. What, what are some of the ways that we do this? Here's the one we encountered first service. So I'm not dressed right. Because the, the, the right way to dress for me would be a, a suit and tie, right? Actually, they say suit and tie, but the, suit, the tie is part of the suit. So tie, three-piece suit, or at least two of the three pieces. Black suit, white. Oh, I've got to really do it up nice, you know? You're not good enough because if you were really good enough, you'd look like me. Which is, which, which, thank you for hitting upon one of the reasons I do this because that's part of the point is because it's so. But so now let's take it further because you could leave here this morning, drive a very, not a long distance within, within a normal driving time, and arrive at a church where you're going to see that, which is not a bad thing. Don't hear me say that's a bad thing. But the rationale is because, especially these days, because I obviously have gone liberal, right? Because if I was nice and firm, I would still dress the appropriate way. Why? Because you've got to show respect by bringing your best. And how do we define best? By a business suit. And the world this day is, is abandoning that. And, you know, you go to churches and the pastor doesn't even dress up the way God intended because, well, wait, where did the three-piece suit come from? Anybody know? Nobody knew first service. Where did, the, where did, I mean, it is now the pastoral uniform. Not here, but where did that come from? Anybody know why that's so, I still wear it to funerals and weddings, depending on the wedding. But, but why? Where did that uniform come from? That is so, again, there are churches that, if you don't have it, I mean, I have dear brothers who probably worry about me because of, just how liberal I've become in my Hawaiian church. Yeah, but yeah, tradition, but where did the tradition come from? Why is this a sign of your best? Anybody know? Huh? It's not from religion. Not from the military. A man's point of view, specifically, sometimes we call it, what do we call it? It's a business suit. It's from 1950s American culture. Watch, what, this, this was a favorite one, because we, we'll we can agree right off the bat, not a Christian show, Bewitched. I love Bewitched, not a Christian show. You know, we're all comfortable with that concept, that this is not a, you know, shows about witches are not your, you know, that's not a Bible show. School show. Darren, when he goes to work, what does he wear? A suit and tie. And his boss, Mr. Tate, is wearing a suit and tie, because that's a sign of professionalism, and your best. You put on your 
best. In fact, the American business suit with the padded shoulders and the double breast is meant to make guys look more impressive. It's built to make guys look better because if you take it off, sometimes we don't look so good. So the church adopted that picture. From where? The world. It is purely an, a, a Western cultural framework that now you can walk into churches and they go, I'm just not sure you're a very good Christian because you don't dress like a 1950s businessman. That's how it came in. But there are churches that would judge my standing with Jesus based on the fact that I don't conform to 1950s business, secular, bewitched culture. But now it's, now it's a, me abandoning 1950s culture is now a sign of I'm not standing with Jesus. Do you see how it creeps in? This is what we do. And we, we go back to these things and say, are you right with God? Well, you don't dress like a 1950s businessman. I'm not sure that you and Jesus love each other. A little law severs us from Jesus. That's what he said in verse 4. A little bit severs us from Christ. You're now trying to be good based on your effort, not his. So let's come back to this idea of fall from grace. A fall from grace doesn't mean you stop deserting. deserving. When I talked about Ricky falling from grace, what do I mean? Ricky's like, why are you mentioning me? <laughs> I come to church and now I'm not coming again because I remain... But what I'm saying is because he messed up. A fall from grace is you messed up, and so I'm not going to, you don't deserve it anymore. But a real fall from grace doesn't mean you've stopped deserving it. A real fall from grace means you started trying to deserve it. How you fall from grace is start trying to deserve God's favor. Because what is grace? Receiving it without deserving. And so when you say, well, when God first loved me, I didn't deserve it. But now, I'm going to try to earn it. And Paul says, well, now you're not, you have fallen from grace. Because grace is not deserving it. If you're trying to deserve it, you've left behind the whole system God put in place. You've left behind the cross. You've fallen from grace. <clears throat> because now you're trying to deserve it. And yet, so often, that is what we do. That is how we have transformed our walk with Jesus into now I'm trying to live up to it, and if I don't, God's upset with me. Verse 6, he said, faith working through love. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. The basis, the foundation of our faith is the love of God. That's the whole ball of wax. We are not a religion. Every pagan religion says, if you do this, God will do this. And, and it specifies what you need to do. And if you do it right, God will reward you with eternal life or blessings or paradise or whatever. So you act, God reacts. The basis of our faith is the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave. By sending his son. No one has any greater love than this that he lay down his life for his friends. That's why we have a great big cross on the wall, cross on the pulpit, cross on the steeple. Because the center point is what Jesus did on the cross. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would trust him, believe in him, won't perish but have life forever. 
the life of the kingdom. The centerpiece of our faith is the love of God expressed through Christ's death on the cross. Relying on the law, verse 11 says, abolishes that. It abolishes that. Relying on the law abolishes that. And by abolishing the cross, you abolish the love of God. Because no one can love you more than this. That's what Jesus said. No one has any greater love than this. And so the minute you start saying, I'm going to follow the law, I've got to be good, God will love me more if. Did you hear the kids? They already know it. I said, if you obey, will God love you more? And almost all of them said yes. They're like five and six years old, but they've already got it, right? If we obey, God will love me more. God's like, love you more than what? Dying for you? There is no more. What are you going to do that improves upon what I already have given you? So you work from the farm, but it's your farm. I gave it to you. You're my son. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. What more do you think you're going to earn? But what this does is it, love becomes transactional. What is transact? Trans means across, between. Transatlantic means going back and forth across the Atlantic. Transactional means across actions, meaning my actions and God actions work together to keep the love flowing. So I do and God does. So we've turned God into a pagan God where if I, God will. God says, I'll love you if you. So, pastor, did you wear a suit on Sunday? No. Nope. <laughs> And for you guys, it's, did you go to church? And evening service. And prayer meeting. Everybody ought to go to Sunday school. Sun. Now, are these good things? Yes. And when you go, does God go, oh, I love you more? More than what? More than already dying on the cross? God's love is not transactional. So, we have our communion stuff this morning because we need to remember this thing. God gives love and offers unrighteousness, offers righteousness to the unworthy. God gives love and offers righteousness to the unworthy. When we celebrate this, now what, what have we oftentimes done religiously? We've turned this act into a way to make God happy. I once went to a service, I can't remember, I think it was at a Catholic church, might have even been down here at Jay, I don't remember, but I know I went to a service and it was, it was I went there, the reason I went is because it was, uh, I wasn't senior pastor here, it was graduate Sunday, I think, so they were doing like a, I had a kid that was getting recognized, so I went to the service, might not have been Sunday morning, I don't know, but I went to the service because they had the graduates there, and so of course the service was much bigger than normal because they had all this extra stuff, and they had students come up and speak. And there was two ladies sitting behind me, older ladies, and they were talking, as can happen. And one lady said to the other, I didn't want to come today because I knew it was going to be long. Again, I could tell the story, and you'd believe it in a Baptist church, no problem. <laughs> but I had to because I had to take communion. And I remember being saddened. Because I'm like, you had to take communion? Well, because you, 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 you got to keep up, you know? 
you probably got some sins that week that you need to get cleaned out. It's kind of like washing the dishes. They just dirty up again. You got to keep, got to stay ahead of it. And so she had to come take communion because God demanded this for his favor. But what did Jesus say? This is my body broken for you. Do this to please me. No, do this to remember. Do this to remember what I did, not think about what you did. This, the point of doing this is to remember his work, not yours. So don't turn this into your work. This does not convey additional brownie points spiritually. He said, do this to remember me. As often as you do it, do it to remember me. So we're going to, right now, take the body of, the, the cracker that represents the body of Christ, broken for us to remember him. It says when Jesus taught this, it says in the same way he took the cup. And it doesn't say, and then he carefully pulled back the wrapper while trying not to spill this on himself. I always used to be scared when they're passing the cup that I was going to dump the whole tray. Now I'm scared I'm going to really open this up and it's going to shoot and all of a sudden I'm going to wear it. Then you say, why does your pastor wear a stained Hawaiian shirt? But this represents the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. This is God offering to me while we were still sinners. When we were not deserving, Christ died for us. This is the basis that every day I live. Let's do this in remembrance of him. The act of communion was given to us not to earn a thing, but to remember his work. So one last big point here. God is not glorified primarily through your observance, through your obedience, but through your acceptance of his work. That's a big one. I'm not saying that when you obey that God is not glorified. Obedience definitely can glorify God. But the primary way, the first way, the most crucial way that you are going to glorify God is through your acceptance of his work. And a lot of times we think that if I don't perform, God and I aren't okay. And Jesus said, it is finished. And that's why we sang that song, I know that it is finished. God has accomplished all that needs to happen. And just like the kids with the candy, what more do you need to do? Just ask. Just ask. But don't I need to? Just ask. Now, Paul has spent four and a half chapters on what not to do. Finally, next week, we'll look at, well, then what do I do? Because like, like Sharon mentioned, we aren't supposed to just, well, grace is, I don't have to deserve it, so I can be undeserving in spades. Paul said, well, no, that's dumb too. So then if, if I don't have to maintain my relationship with God, then what do I do? How do I be good? Because again, we are, you know, give me something to do. Paul's going to do that. And that's next week. 
and so we call that free to, free to what? So we'll look at what Paul's answer is, what is the basis of our ongoing Christian life? But for now, is how you glorify God, primarily the fact that you say, I trust his work, not mine. I trust his work, not mine. How do you know you're right with God? Doesn't mean you go to church. Come to church, please, please, come. But not because you're trying to earn any favor with God. He can't love you more than he did before you even accepted him. He can't love you more than what we just celebrated when he broke his body and shed his blood for you. Faithful, a lifetime of faithful obedience doesn't bring you any closer than already being in his bosom, in his heart, because of his work on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your promise. We so quickly, easily, sneakily slip into trying to perform to get bonus love, to get closer to you. Lord, we are naturally sinful and we tend to be very unfaithful and we tend to stray. And when we do these things, then we feel like you're mad at us and then we stay away. Lord, so many of us as children have struggled with feeling good enough and some, some kids as they've grown up have just written the whole thing off as a bad deal and given up because they couldn't be good enough and they couldn't understand that they didn't have to be because that's all they knew. And Lord, we so quickly fall back into these standards and then we feel like you and I aren't okay. But Lord, we stand today, each of us stand today, may everyone here stand today before you in confidence, not in their ability to keep you happy, but in your ability to have fully satisfied the requirements of holiness and righteousness. And now we wait. We want more. We want to be set free from constantly messing up, from the weakness that we are so aware of. We look forward to the day that you fully restore us. But while we're waiting, Lord, may we rest in confidence by putting our faith in you, not in us. And Lord, if there's anybody here who up until this moment has been trying to please you, I pray that today they will come to you and accept, just ask, because freely you have given to us. You freely offered your son. You came and died for us because you loved us. I pray that they would receive that free gift today and know that their standing with you is based entirely on your work because you came and lived and died and rose again. Thank you, Father, for that promise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.